Eichel spins off a sandwich and down towards the goal. Barbashev, he scores! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Harley down through the circle. He's going it again. To the right of shot. Oh, and a stop by Hill with the glove. Robertson at the right dot. The lefty tried to go top right corner. Hill flashes his mitt for the big save. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two, VGK Insider Show. Ryan Wallace hanging out inside the Underground Lounge at the Oyo Hotel and Casino. Father's Day around the corner. Hooters has you covered. Buy 10 wings, get 10 wings any style. So you're going to want to make sure you bring Dad out to the Oyo Hotel and Casino. Always free parking. Pool season officially underway. North America's largest Hooters restaurant. Iconic chicken wings. Also, if you're so inclined, Thursdays. Wheel of Fortune slot tournament, 1 to 3 p.m. Free to enter, must be an Oil Rewards member and 21 years or older. But slot tournaments, always a fun time. $1 blackjack tables, only casino on the strip doing that. Home of the $2 Bud, Bud Light and Michelob Ultra. It's always fun down here at the Oil Hotel and Casino. I am at the Underground Lounge once a week. Wednesday or Thursday, depending on Golden Knights and their schedule. And with Vegas playing Game 3 tomorrow, the Stanley Cup Final, it follows that we are here today, Wednesday. Sticks down, drop the puck on hour number two of the VGK Insider Show. We are efforting to get Darren Millard back on the program. We hope to hear from Brian Boyle, NHL Network Analyst. Brian does a phenomenal job, NHL veteran. Um, I'm interested to pick his brain about, obviously, the physicality in this series. And I'm not talking about the physicality between the whistles. I'm talking about the physicality after the whistles, the extracurriculars, the Florida Panthers. And, you know, obviously, it's been a, a an objective for them. It's been something that they've utilized throughout the entirety of their postseason run. It's trying to frustrate and get under the skin of an, of an opponent. And usually, when you're winning, it works. When you're not winning, it, it tends to have the opposite, uh, the opposite effect. So for the Golden Knights, as long as they are playing within themselves, as long as they are keeping things clean between the whistles and they're not engaging in the extracurriculars, and from what we've seen from the Golden Knights, their ability to score so far in this series, I think it's a lot easier to eat those punches, as we heard from Bruce Cassidy. It's, it's a lot easier in those moments to to accept the fact that you're going to have to take a punch in the mouth here or there. You're going to have to just accept that the scrums are going to happen, and it's a lot easier in those situations when you when you simply don't have to worry about where you're at in the game. The Golden Knights have been the better team through two games so far, the Stanley Cup Final, and they're looking to carry that into Sunrise, Florida in game number three against the Florida Panthers. Now, Mallard asked me a question. And it pertains to the Golden Knights and their depth. And whether or not that helps them offensively more or defensively more. And I think that his line of reasoning in asking me that question is simply because of the fact that the Golden Knights have been scoring seemingly at will throughout this postseason. And you would automatically go to, okay, it's probably going to help them out more offensively. When you look at how deep in the numbers for the Golden Knights, you've got Jack Eichel with 22 points, Jonathan Marchessault with 21. So you've got two players over 20 points right now in the postseason. 
Then you start to get a little bit deeper, and you've got eight players in double digits in terms of point production, and then you've got four more players that are right there on the cusp with nine points. So 12 players are right around double digits for the Golden Knights in terms of production. I think automatically you assume that the depth has allowed the Golden Knights to just be a juggernaut offensively. But then you start to peel back the layers a little bit in terms of what their lineup looks like. Your top line of Jack Eichel, Ivan Barbashev, Jonathan Marshall, so you rely on that line to score for sure. But we have all marveled at Jack Eichel's defensive game, his 200-foot game, the reloads that he's got in the neutral zone, his ability on the back check to, to be an absolute menace, breaking up pucks as, as players are trying to bring pucks into the offensive zone. Jack's been fantastic defensively, and it's proven time and again in his plus minus plus 13 right now in the postseason then you look at your second line you've got mark stone on the wing right i would argue mark stone is one of the premier defensive forwards in this game and he's not necessarily going to get the love for a selkie because he is on the wing but the the ability that mark has to disrupt play specifically in the neutral zone his stick is second to none he can create offense out of nowhere because of his defensive play that's what you've got on your second line and then you go even deeper and william carlson the ability that he has had and shown throughout this postseason to shut down some of the best players on the opposition I, I don't know how you look at what the Golden Knights have, line number one, line number two, line number three, and their defensive responsibility, their ability to turn defense into offense and, and say to yourself that they're not benefiting on the defensive side of the puck as well. We're going to shift focus here and bring in Brian Boyle, NHL Network analyst, a former NHL player as well, to talk about Vegas and Florida. Brian, how you doing? Good. What's up, gang? How we doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic here with you uh, here with Ryan Wallace. I, when you look at this series, kind of going into it, it we, we've got the benefit now of two games. But what were you expecting out of Vegas and Florida? Well, I love Vegas just for their depth. Ryan, I thought that, you know, it, it, there was a lot of similarities uh, with the team that I went in 2014 to the cup final with in New York with um, kind of the, just the depth top to bottom. Yeah. There was some similarities, right? And their, their top end depth was probably a bit, a bit higher end than ours, but it was, uh, we had, we had Hank obviously and it got us there. I, I just liked how they played, how they matched up against kind of any sort of team that came at them. And um, I thought it was, you know, I, I expected them to, you know, they played obviously a really disciplined game, but it wasn't it wasn't a soft game by any means. They're a hard, hard team to play against. And, and I really thought that that was a great recipe just in terms of this, you know, this is almost two months into this playoff grind. And they... And you can just kind of roll them over wave after wave. I love what the fourth line is doing. I, I mean, look, I, I'm a big Teddy Bluger fan, and he's, you know, he's not in the lineup right now because that's the depth. That's what it speaks to. And then on the, on the flip side with Florida, like, they've just found ways. They've found different guys. They've leaned, obviously, on Bob and, and Matthew Kachuk for some, for some really special moments. But they've found ways 
through contributions from a lot of different guys as well. So I, I thought, you know what, like no stage is too big for Florida, but I really love the recipe that Vegas is going to do. I liked Vegas in the start, but I was like, I, I don't know what to expect here. The playoffs have kind of been a mixed bag all, all <laughs> season. So uh, so far it hasn't disappointed in terms of entertainment, but um, really Vegas has a stranglehold on this series. Now, when you when you start to factor in the Golden Knights, and you mentioned the word depth, is it does it feel like the depth for Vegas, the ability to roll those four lines, and when you start to look at the amount of talent that, that the Golden Knights have on every single line that they can throw over the boards, that that's overwhelming the Florida Panthers? Well, it is. It's hard because num- number one, they play they play a hard style. It's not easy to play against such a disciplined team. Then that's detail, right? That's checking. That's that's finishing every check still, and that's carrying pucks and holding on to pucks and making plays. There's a, they're a tenacious group, but then when the whistle blows, they skate away. So any any uh, any kind of advantage Florida tries to take by getting them off their game, they're just way too disciplined. And it's a maturity level. It's it's really a buy-in from what Bruce Cassidy has probably been preaching them. Um, and they have a lot of experience there. You know, they're obviously a young franchise, but there's veteran players there and leadership there in, in spades. And like I mentioned, Teddy Bluger, you also got Phil Kessel, who's won two cups, and he's not in the lineup. And, you know, that matters, I think. It really does in, in the playoffs. And it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think Florida might have to focus on maybe trying to make some plays. They have a number of guys that can do that. Uh, during during the gameplay and, and leaving the uh, extracurricular stuff alone until they can start trying to gain momentum through, you know, actually their talent because they're a super talented team. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of along those lines, obviously things get away in, in game number two from the Florida Panthers. There were multiple 10-minute misconduct penalties handed out in the third period. What are you kind of expecting maybe from from – the refs going into game number three or or the Panthers and maybe adjusting that to keep the extracurriculars to a minimum and, and try to go out there and focus on the play whistle to whistle? Well, look, I, I don't think game to game there's really momentum carryover, but yeah. in terms of how it's officiated, like the refs are going to look at trends, right? I think I think they are anyways. And they probably had had enough at that point. And, and people have been harping on Matthew Kachuk's second – 10-minute misconduct in Game 2, mm-hmm. that kind of slashed to the stick. And, and I just th- I just think the Stripes had had enough. Like, they're like, oh, hey, like we're done with this charade. It, yeah. You know, to be honest with you, at certain point in times when they started throwing guys out of Game 2, the, the game was, yeah, it was 4-2, to two, but the way Florida plays, like, that, that game was still in the balance a little bit. And... But I think it was a, an accumulation of what had been going on in games one and parts of game two where the, the refs wanted to keep control of the game. They didn't want to turn it into a Donnie Brook. And they, they, I thought they did a great job of handling that because, look, that's if you want to make it out of hand, if you want to do different things after the whistle constantly, and, and they, trust me, they are saying, they're telling everybody to stop. And Vegas has been skating away, and Florida has continued to initiate Sort of like little things that aren't going to have any effect on the game to try to irritate Vegas. And the only thing it's done is irritated the officials and they've made calls on it, which I don't blame them. 
Brian Boyle, NHL Network analyst, joining us here to break down games one and two. Look ahead to games three and four of the Stanley Cup final between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. Uh, Jack Eichel, um, like this is his first foray into the postseason, and all he's done is lead the Golden Knights in point production. He's got 22 points so far in the postseason. He's two wins away from a Stanley Cup. He eats a massive check from Matthew Kachuk in game number two and comes back in the third period, sets up a goal. Like, How impressive has this run been in your eyes for Jack Eichel? Well, we, I mean, we talked about it on the NHL Network, and Rupper went at length. Mike Rupp went, went on and on about Jack Eichel. And, but I've known Jack for a little while and seen him come up. And, and we talked about kind of just our, our own journeys coming into the league and who we had to lean on. And, you know, Rupper had obviously that Devils team that won a cup. And uh, we, we were, were kind of going back and forth. And I said, Mike, like, you know, he was in Buffalo, and there were some great, obviously great pros in Buffalo and good guys in Buffalo. They didn't win anything, and he had all the pressure of the whole city on him. And I really didn't like kind of how the narrative was going with Jack because I know him, and it's not who he was. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I just really hope he feels vindicated. It doesn't really matter. He probably doesn't care either way because he's trying to help his team win. And I, I could tell it was getting to him when he was in Buffalo, and then he came here, and he's, he's kind of let his play do the talking for him, which is really the only thing he can do at that point and man has he been unbelievable like that hit I mean I've seen big hits and I love big hits and I hated that one just because of you know it was Jack and he had his yeah. neck surgery and all these different things and and, and you know I love Matthew Kachuk as a player as well and I, I can't blame him at all I would have done the same thing if I was him but he came back and what a play like they figured it out like they figured out the over aggression from Florida he's kept his poise, which I think is like, forget all like the points and what he's done. The fact that he knows they're coming for him and he still just has the poise to make that pass to Marchie right, coming down the slot. Uh, that duo of him and, and Jonathan Marshall so have been so huge. It's so fun to watch. I played with Marchie in, uh, in Tampa too. I love that kid as well. And Look, like it's, it's all in his play. He's doing exactly what he's capable of doing he's probably you know he didn't get 100 points this year like a lot of other people but he worked at his game and what he has done on on the whole rink right 200 feet of ice uh is is even more than i thought he was capable of and it's like it's so awesome to watch uh as like as a fan of jack eichel yeah and if you're a vegas fan like yeah that's awesome to watch as well but like he, he's just been so he's been so awesome in the playoffs. He's, he was great in the Edmonton series against Connor so so often. I'm, I'm so happy for the kid. And and I got to you know walking out of the arena the other day. I got to see him, and I was just I told him that I'm so happy for him. Just keep it going. Like yeah, I like I, it's he's got so many fans back home here in the Boston area. Like he's just like we're thrilled for him, but we you know we want we just want to see the best version of him, and he's, he's bringing that every night in the playoffs. You know, you mentioned Jonathan Marcheseau and, you know, playing alongside Jack Eichel, especially with where Jack's at right now in in his playmaking ability. I I think that that's been the biggest impact he's had over the last 
you know, series and a half is just his ability to make plays, put the puck on the stick right where you, you need to, to score goals. And it's incumbent on, on guys like Ivan Barbashev and Jonathan Marchessault so to get to those areas, and they've been able to do that. But, you know, Jonathan Marchessault's so got 12 goals in his last 12 games. This run that he's on is incredible. I, I, I find it hard to to kind of pinpoint another moment in time where Marcheseau has been playing this big a role. Uh, is it safe to say that what he's done so far through the first two games might have him pulling away in, in early con Smythe consideration? Pulling away? How, how much farther can he pull away from those <laughs> centermen, though? Like, that, that's going to be the debate. That's yeah. going to be the debate if, if they can continue on this road. Um, and I don't think either one of them care one bit, to be honest with you. Like, so when Marshy went to Florida, he had his coming out party, and I was with him in Tampa before that. We just couldn't afford to keep him, and he got his one-way deal in Florida and had a breakout, and then he went to Vegas and had probably his best year that first year with all the, the misfits and all that. It was just so great to see because playing with him, he was such an awesome teammate. He was so infectious in the room, so positive, lots of lots of energy, Um didn't love when he would like trip guys in preseason. Like he was yelling at Tom Sestito one time, screaming at him, and I'm like, Marshy, are you going to fight him? Because if you keep pissing him off, I'm going to have to fight him. So stop. <laughs> um, but you know that's just how he is. That's how he plays. That he's got a lot of energy. He wants to win so bad, and I'm happy. I'm so happy for him as well. But if you ever get up to a morning skate or a practice there, and you just watch him shoot a puck, it, it comes off different. Like. I know he wasn't drafted. I know he's a smaller player, but he's got talent through the roof. And it's not just his shot. His hockey sense, he gets to those areas, like you said, Ryan. And he understands he's playing with a world-class centerman. And Barbashev coming in at the deadline, like, holy, what a weapon that guy's been, right? So yeah. it works. It, 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 uh, you know, Bruce Cassidy has put these people in, in positions to succeed. And it's really, really, the chemistry is, is so undeniable. But, you know, yeah, him or Jack, uh, Aiden Hill's got an argument. Uh, if, if Florida pulls off a couple games, you get Matthew Kachuk and Bob. And, you know, that's, and, and the great part about it is it's, it's still in the series. I mean, for Vegas, they want to close it down as fast as they can. But there's, I still think there's some hockey left. And, you know, there's going to be a new hero every night, which is, the, which is as a fan, is the best part. NHL Network analyst Brian Boyle joining us here to talk about the Stanley Cup Final, the Golden Knights and the Panthers. Vegas up two games to none in the series. Game three will be tomorrow. I guess, like, at no point in time did I think that Paul Maurice would move off of Sergei Bobrovsky. He mentioned today that Bobrovsky is going to get the start in game number three. How have the Golden Knights been able to get to Bob through the first two games? Well, I think like they, they're just playing their game, right? And I think the Golden Knights would would love two one games or, or even one nothing games or three two games. Like that, that's how they play. They're disciplined. They defend. They wait for their chance and they try to strike. What they've done with that is got Florida so out of sorts that like Florida has been almost they're working too hard and not smart enough. Like a lot of these goals have been self-inflicted with screens from their own defensemen that haven't been able to block a shot or tried too hard to kind of get in the lane when they could have gone stick on puck. So you can't blame Bob. Like, yeah. 
I think you got to close the gap a little more from Florida in the D zone like they had. You know, Gudis came out and they had um, Casey Fitzgerald in, who I think still has some upside. He's still he's still raw. I love I love his game. He's aggressive, but he hasn't played enough. And when you've gone through a long playoff and a long season, there's certain things where the communication is there, and when it's a new player in, and there's different times where. You know, there's some hesitation, and Vegas has kind of exposed that. It happened on, I think, Nick Waugh's goal in game two. And, you know, Bob really can't do much with that. He can't do much with, uh, you know, Carlson made the play, passed it over, maybe it was Howden on uh, one of the goals as well. Like, But the other ones are through screens or a knuckle puck from Alec Martinez. It's kind of like, what do you, what do, you do? It's not really, you know, he has come up with those saves in the past series, but you really can't fault him for it. So it's, I think Florida has to do a better job taking time and space away in their D zone, not looking for a big blow-up hit, which I think they've been kind of too over-focused on in games one and two. And I think it'll sort itself out, and Bob will have a cleaner look in front of him, and it might help him, I think, settle in more. But you got to stick with Bob because his ceiling's so high and what he was able to do in the first three rounds, I don't think anybody on the planet can do when he gets hot. You know, and then you look at the other side of, of the ice and you've got Aiden Hill, who's been phenomenal since coming into the lineup for the Golden Knights in the middle of the Edmonton series. He was great through the Dallas series, and he's so far been better through two games in this series. How do the Florida Panthers get to Aiden Hill? Because it, it doesn't seem like at, at this point, if he can see it, he's stopping the puck. Yeah, and even if he's in the snack bar grabbing a hot dog, he's stopping the puck too. You saw that on the Cousins <laughs> goal, uh, a chance in game one, right? Like, yeah. I, I was, this is, is this an omen? If it's an omen, it's perfect time because it happened to the other team, you know, six years ago with, with Braden Holpe. Um, that, that, that was incredible, and that does something to your psyche as a player. Maybe not the whole team, but I know Cousins is still probably kicking himself for that because if that goes in, like, what's, what happens to this series? You don't know. Yeah. It could still be 2-0, but you don't know. And as a player, you probably, hopefully, put it behind him. But, I mean, that was incredible. And, and you know what I loved the most about that whole thing in game one? I thought he was he was over-aggressive at times in the first period, Aiden Hill, and was starting to kind of get a little bit swimming in his net a little bit. And I'm not a goalie guy. I, I'm, I feel like I'm speaking a little bit out of turn. But, um he made that save, and as the play was continuing on down the other end of the ice, he took his helmet off, did a little hair flip, and then he settled in ever since then. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, God, he's back. He's, <laughs> he's fine. Don't worry about this guy. He's, he's dialed now. And then, you know, for the next four and a half periods, he has been. So, I mean, I love that story as well. That's, uh, you know, he's just grinded. He's earned everything he's ever gotten. And it wasn't talked about much during the year. And wasn't probably looked at as uh, anything much more than a depth piece. And if you had to use them, where, where were they going to be as a team? It's been an awesome story. And and I and you know what, you know I've been counted out as well. I, I just love I love that. I love people proving other people wrong. And he's he's done that great. So I'm a I'm a huge Aiden Hill fan. You know, last one here for me. I, and you know I'm fascinated from the Panthers' perspective because I, I feel like in this moment the Golden Knights are the deeper team. Certainly, we've seen that through two games. 
and I, I'm trying to find different ways for the Panthers to get back into the series. I, I'm, I, like you, believe that there's more hockey to be played. It's not going to be an easy feat for the Golden Knights to find two more victories. But outside of Bobrovsky kind of having a, a, a massive game and Matthew Kachuk impacting the, the game in a different way, who else for the Florida Panthers? Like, Give me one other player or a collection of players that are going to have to raise the level of their game in games three and four. I'll give you a collection right now. It's Barkov has to get back to what he was in the Carolina series where he was a bit meaner. I hadn't seen that from him. Uh, I played with him, and he's a world-class player. Now he needs to find a way to make room for himself and his line mates. I think Carter Rahegi has had some chances, but he needs to bury. I think uh, Brandon Montour has to be less inclined to try and blow people up and, and focus on what he does best that makes him who he is, right? He is He's an electric player, and he's a lot to handle when he starts moving around with the puck. I think he, he can bring more. I think those three in particular can really, really bring more. And that's three guys that if they step up just like a notch or even a half a notch, that's a different team. And I know Barky's trying to shoot more and, uh, I also think Aaron Eckblad, who I, I, is one of the best stick-on-puck defensemen, I think, in the league. He's got such a long stick, such a great reach. He can do so many things. He's not, He's not. Uh, I don't think he's given enough credit for what he can do offensively and talent-wise. So I think he needs to bring it a little bit more, too. A guy that's been there a long time, especially him and Barkov. Been there a long time, been through you know, all of the downs uh, that they've had with high expectations and you know, those guys can really bring another level, I think. I've seen them do it. I know what they're capable of, and I expect them to do it back at home. All right, awesome stuff, Brian. Thanks so much for, for jumping on here. We kept you longer than uh, than we probably should have, but uh, it was just fantastic insight, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the next couple of games. Me too, Ryan. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. That's NHL Network analyst Brian Boyle helping us break down, make sense of games one and two in uh, in T-Mobile Arena between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. Looking ahead to games three and four in Sunrise, Florida. Game three will be tomorrow. Five o'clock puck drop, four o'clock pregame show on that one. And, you know, obviously the, the growth of Jack Eichel, that's a big story, and we touched on that with Brian. Then you've got the other aspects for the Golden Knights, the depth, the ability to roll four lines. We were talking about it before we brought Brian on and that the Golden Knights have been able to score seemingly at will. They've been able to get to the inside, get to the front of the net, but they're also shutting things down defensively. And that's really the big aspect of all of this is that when you've got the ability to throw over the boards at any given time, Jack Eichel, then you've got Mark Stone, then you've got William Carlson, you start to understand why it becomes more and more difficult for opposition teams to find ways to put the puck in the back of the net. Never mind the fact that Aiden Hill has been playing a massive role for the Golden Knights. It's been the saves you're supposed to make, but also timely saves. I keep going back to, and as, as Brian talked about, right, the save on Nick Cousins. Leaning out, leaving it all to chance battling through getting the paddle down making that save i think that that's a big turning point in the series but also in game number two you've got a breakaway carter verhage comes down 
the Florida Panthers to that point in the first period didn't have any sustained pressure at all. It was all Vegas, and they hadn't been able to break through on Sergei Bobrovsky. It's a breakaway coming back the other way, and Aiden Hill makes a massive save. Those are key moments in this series, and the Golden Knights have gotten the big saves when they've needed them most. And as Brian mentioned, I think after Aiden Hill makes that paddle save on Nick Cousins, everything settles down for him everything kind of slows down for him and that's a big reason why the golden knights have a two nothing series lead in the stanley cup final and are just two wins away from the stanley cup we're broadcasting live here at the underground lounge inside the oil hotel and casino we talk about it every week but i'm going to refresh your memory always free parking north america's largest hooters restaurant iconic chicken wings you've got one dollar blackjack tables the only casino on the strip doing that and home of the two dollar bud bud light and Michelob ultra always a party always fun down here at the oil hotel and casino and we're back next with one timers on the vgk insider show in left corner, centered, one-timer, score! It's time for One-Timers. One-timers. A quick look at news and notes from around the National Hockey League. Brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. First news and notes from around the NHL. We're going to start with the Los Angeles Kings. LA announced today they had signed Vladislav Gavrikov to a two-year contract extension $5.875 million for Gavrikov. Of course, he comes over in the Jonathan Quick trade, and there's a couple of different angles that I'm, I'm looking at when it comes to this particular contract. Number one, you bring Gavrikov in, and, and I thought he was exactly what the Los Angeles Kings needed. Right, like You've got Drew Doughty. We know how good Drew is, but you need a, a, more of a shut down, stay at home, hard-nosed type of defenseman. And that's what Gavrikov is. That's what he was able to provide for the Los Angeles Kings in really the back half of the season and certainly in the playoffs. I think the fit is there. Now, why I like this is that salary cap's going to remain stagnant here for a while, at least the next season. It's only going to go up by a million dollars. We'll see whether or not trends go in, in a different direction. But if I'm a player, especially with, with a player Gavrikov's age, 27 years old, you haven't really been able to cash in on a big, big time deal. Why not get two years? Why not have a bit of a bridge in a system that I think is going to really benefit and then when the salary cap raises by two or three million, three or four million, depending on when, where we're looking when that deal is done, strike while the iron's hot. Like, even at 29 years old for Gavrikov in that moment, I think that there's going to be a higher earning potential for, for him then than if you go longer term in this moment in time right now. So from that perspective, it feels to me like this is Vlad Gavrikov betting on himself, betting on that next big payday when there's going to be more available money to cash in. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Now, here's the thing that I find most interesting when it comes to LA. 
Right now, you're dealing with a situation where there's about seven-ish million dollars in projected cap space. The Los Angeles Kings have one goaltender signed for next season. It's Phoenix Copley. And we know how important Copley was to the Los Angeles Kings throughout the entirety of the year. If not for Phoenix Copley coming in, playing well, winning games, the LA Kings probably do not make the playoffs. It's just that simple. He was that good, that automatic. The cap hit on Copley, $1.5 million, that's fine. But then LA, of course, goes out and they make the trade for Jonas Corposalo. Corposalo was fine for Los Angeles. But the question now becomes, what does L.A. do in goal? Because you can't go into next season with Phoenix Copley as your number one guy. I just I don't believe that's the direction L.A. is going to go. So do you try to re-sign Jonas Corposalo? Or do you take a look at what's available on the market? And I think one name in particular that should be interesting to everybody is Connor Hellebuck. Could the L.A. Kings make a move for Connor Hellebuck? I would argue that they should make a move for Connor Hellebuck because, number one, Hellebuck wants to win. Number two, the LA Kings have some cap space to work with. They can be flexible. I wonder what that number will look like. But LA needs a goalie. They 100% need a goalie. And with the direction of the way things are going in Winnipeg, I'm expecting Connor Hellebuck will not be a Jet next season. That's certainly my own opinion. But if Connor Hellebuck is available, I just think the LA Kings have to jump at that. They've got to make that happen because they're one goaltender away, I truly believe, for being, of being legitimate Stanley Cup contenders again. I mean, LA was in the playoffs. LA, you can look at it maybe as regression, right? Because they were able to go seven the year prior with the Edmonton Oilers, only go six this time around. I don't know if Jonas Corposalo is the guy, but if it's not, I'm going all in on Connor Hellebuck if I'm Rob Blake and the Los Angeles Kings organization. Cole Caulfield, Montreal Canadiens, signed a massive deal. Eight years, $7.8 million average annual value. And this is quite the opposite for me in how I view the Vlad Gavrikov contract because like I just don't understand and there's a couple of different directions you can look at this one I don't understand why a player like Cole Caulfield off his ELC is looking to go eight years for any reason at all because like you look at the projections for Caulfield this year you look at just how proficient he was before he ended up getting hurt you're talking about a guy that if you sign something of a bridge deal you're looking at a massive payday when the salary cap goes up, if I'm a young player in this league and I have the talent of Cole Caulfield, I'm not looking to go eight years. I'm not looking to go with a max deal. I'm looking to go with a bridge and I'm betting on myself. Because the number that you can get if you're Caulfield exponentially goes up because the cap goes up, but it also goes up because at that point you might have two or three 40-goal seasons under your belt. You might even have a 50-goal season under your belt. The way that Martin St. Louis coaches up, the, the the proficiency that Cole Caulfield has with his shot, I know he's a diminutive player, but the fact of the matter is you cannot teach the shot that he has. And he's going to be able to get that shot off. He's going to be a player that finds the back of the net, and the, 
the, the, the thing that pays you the most in this league is the ability to put the puck in the back of the net. So I, I understand security. I understand wanting to lock yourself into a, a really nice payday. And $7.8 million is nothing to sneeze at. I just think that for Caulfield, if he would have bet on himself a little bit, go bridge deal, you can really maximize that payday in three years because of where the salary cap would be at that point. Now, on the flip side, it's a really good bit of business for the Montreal Canadiens for one reason, and that is you want to pay players not for what they've done, but what you project them to be able to do. You want to get the most out of those prime years. And I think with Montreal, what you're looking at here is there's two ways this contract's going to go. It's either going to be about right. You're either going to get $7.8 million worth of production out of Cole Caulfield, and everyone looks at it and says, you know what, nah, that makes sense. Or Cole Caulfield's going to outperform the number on this contract. I believe he will. You might be looking at a situation where you've got Tage Thompson 2.0 on your hands, where you've got a 40-goal scorer perennially, and you are underpaying him for the duration of this contract. That's what I believe is likely to happen, and it's a good bit of business if you are the Montreal Canadiens because it gives you cost certainty, you understand what you're getting in the player, and if he shatters the projections that you have for him, you're getting great value for probably five out of the eight years on this deal. It'll allow you to continue to build around the core of Caulfield and Suzuki. It'll allow you to continue to bring in really solid players. And I just think it makes a lot of sense from the Canadians' perspective. I don't dislike it from Caulfield's perspective. I just would rather see a player in this moment, in this day and age, bet on themselves with a two or three year bridge deal and then really try to strike while the iron is hot when the salary cap goes up. You can find me at on Twitter at Ryan Hockey Guy. I threw the question out there. Which team benefits most from the extra day off between games? 62% say Vegas. 38% say Florida. I'm going to provide a little nuance as to why I asked the question. There's a lot of different directions you can go with this one. Obviously for the Golden Knights, they are playing really well. They are dialed in and not really straying from their game in any way, shape, or form. The game plan's out there for Vegas. They're executing it at a very high level. And you probably want to just keep that going. You want to lean into that as much as you possibly can. On the flip side, you've got the Florida Panthers, who had nine days off between games at the end of the Eastern Conference Finals, the start of the Stanley Cup Final. And now you've got another day where you've got to sit around and you've got to answer the same questions as to why it's gone south for you through for the for the first two games of the Stanley Cup final, why you're in a position where you're not able to score goals, you're taking undisciplined penalties, there's all these misconducts piling up, why you're not able to to, to beat Aiden Hill, questions about Sergei Bobrovsky. I think there's a lot going on between the ears for all of the players on the Florida Panthers right now. And and it's not so much the questions about whether or not they can get back there. I, I firmly believe that Florida is going to turn in their best effort of the postseason in Game 3 tomorrow night. But here's where I think it becomes really interesting. Here's where I think the nine-day break went against Florida 
and it wasn't Rust. I, at no point in time did I believe that Rust was going to be the ultimate factor. There were two aspects that I thought were detrimental to the Florida Panthers having nine days off between the end of the Eastern Conference Final and the start of the Stanley Cup Final. Number one, Sergei Bobrovsky. And while I don't pin any of this on Bobrovsky at all, I think he's been really good. It's just that the Golden Knights have finished better than Bobrovsky's played. But here's the other aspect of it. When you're on a run, when you are riding a wave like the Florida Panthers, you come back from 3-1 down against a 65-win Boston Bruins team. And then you go out, you jump out to a massive lead, a 3-0 series lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then you win that series in five. And then you go into an Eastern Conference Final against a very deep team in the Carolina Hurricanes, and it's a sweep, but it's as close a sweep as you're going to find in today's NHL. You're playing on a different level. You are navigating these waters in a, in a very different way because you're not really understanding the gravity of what you're doing. You don't understand the gravity of going out there and beating three of the NHL's four best teams over the course of six weeks. You're, just, you're not really understanding that in the moment. But the, what happens when you take a step back? What happens when you have a break in that wave? All of a sudden, the gravity of the situation hits you. All of a sudden, you're the Florida Panthers. You're looking around. Oh, boy. We've accomplished so much. We were playing with house money. It was nice to keep this going. And all of a sudden, now we've got to find that again. We've got to recapture that magic for all the marbles. All of a sudden, you recognize that even though it was a ride, even though you were Cinderella, all of a sudden you get to the ball and now you've got to go out there and deliver on that stage. It becomes overwhelming and it's very similar to what the Golden Knights experienced in 2018 and that's really where I think the extra rest is going to go against the Florida Panthers because it's more time that you're spending understanding just the gravity of this situation. How difficult it is to get here. How insurmountable the odds were at times for Florida to get to this point and yet it still didn't result in ultimately the prize because you've still got to find four more wins I think the worst thing that could have happened to the Florida Panthers was a nine-day break and that's unfortunately something they're going to have to figure out a way to overcome but I think the more they sit around the more questions they've got to answer the more questions that arise and the bigger the moment becomes for the Florida Panthers especially staring down a 2-0 hole against the Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup final those are your one-timers for today, Wednesday, June 7th. We're back to wrap it up next on the VGK Insider Show. That was one-timers. One-timers. Brought to you by Paul Pata Law. It's not about the injury. It's about the recovery. We're back to the Findlay Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here's Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. VGK Insider Show. Game three, Stanley Cup final. That goes tomorrow. 
5 o'clock puck drop, 4 o'clock pregame show. I'll be on the air at 4 o'clock getting you ready, talking about where I think the Golden Knights are, are going to have the edge in game number three, in spite of the fact that I firmly believe Florida is going to have their best effort. I think that there are going to be key areas where the Golden Knights are going to be able to outclass the Panthers, even if Florida plays their best game. So with that in mind, it's a little tease, but I'm telling you right now, special teams are going to be a story in the game tomorrow. For the Vegas Golden Knights, special teams are going to be an absolute factor in the game tomorrow. Because I think from a power play perspective, the Golden Knights have figured some things out. From a penalty-killing perspective, I don't buy or trust what the Florida Panthers are doing. And I think that there are areas where the Golden Knights are going to be able to consistently and effectively exploit the Panthers there. So, you're going to have to tune in tomorrow to get more of the particulars. I'll be broadcasting live tomorrow from Distill, Centennial, North Durango in the 215. So I hope you come out. I hope you come join me. I hope you come watch the game among friends as the Golden Knights take on the Florida Panthers in game number three of the Stanley Cup Final. Vegas, just two wins away from a Stanley Cup. That's what I said. Two wins away, the closest they've ever been. Come on out. Hang out with me tomorrow on the BGK Insider Show. <laughs>